Not to us, O oh Lord, not to us, but to your name be glory because of your love and your faithfulness. He is God, and God is good all the time and all the time. Would you stand with me for the reading of the word today? I have an Excel spreadsheet that tells me every text I have preached since I have been here in the last 25 years, and I can't believe, can you, that I have never preached on this text. In Luke chapter 10, verse 38, we find this story that only Luke tells us. Hear the word of the Lord. As Jesus and his disciples were on their way, he came to a village where a woman named Martha opened her home to him. She had a sister called Mary who sat at the Lord's feet listening to what he said. But Martha was distracted by all the preparations that had to be made. She came to him and asked, Lord, don't you care that my sister has left me to do the work by myself? Tell her to help me. Martha, Martha, the Lord answered. You are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed, or indeed, only one. Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken away from her. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Luke tells us that Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and he has defined discipleship as being willing to take up your cross, deny yourself, take up your cross daily, and follow him. So in chapter 10, we get to see how certain people experience that. First, he sends out 72 people, 72 disciples to go and tells them to look for hospitality. When they get back, they're pretty excited about what's happened, and he corrects them. Then he encounters one who asks him who his neighbor is, and he tells a familiar story. By the way, I've preached on this, oh, six or eight times, the story of the Good Samaritan. That story and this story go together. Luke put them together. First, the story of the Good Samaritan tells us that when we see a problem or a need, we ought to do something about it. We are to serve. We are to work. The, the contrast in this story of Martha and Mary is not between the bad thing of serving and the good thing of drawing near to Jesus. It's just Jesus is showing us that these two things go Together, imagine the, the Levite and the priest who say, oh, we've got more important things to do. We've got to go serve God, so we can't possibly stop and help this man who's been beaten nearly to death. And Jesus gives us an unlikely hero, a Samaritan. In this case, 
Martha also is doing an important thing. Somebody has to get the food ready. The problem is not what she's doing, but the attitude with which she does it. And the contrast is real. Jesus is saying there's, there's a good thing in loving your neighbor as yourself, but there is something even better. And Mary has chosen that better thing. And so I'm not going to take that away from her. We are distracted by many things in these days. And if we're not careful, we'll let the work we are doing for God disrupt the work of God in us. So Jesus shows us in this encounter with his friends there in Bethany, we believe this man, Jesus, who said he had no place to lay his head of his own, found a respite there in Bethany in the home of Martha and Mary and Lazarus. We, we read in John chapter 11, verse 5, Jesus loved them, and they loved Jesus. And Mary uh, is sitting at his feet. Martha, in this case, has opened up the home to Jesus, and she wants, she wants to feed Jesus a great meal, and Mary will not help her. And, and Jesus says, yeah, I'm not going to stop Mary from listening to me because even better than feeding Jesus a meal is being fed by Jesus as he speaks his word. If we're not careful, good things will keep us from doing the best things. And the best thing in life is to love God to attend to him, to listen for his voice until we begin to recognize it. There are so many good things we could do, but there is one best thing. So two thoughts from this passage. First, distracted by many things, we could serve God and lament this is what I see in Martha in this story. It's a good thing to, to offer hospitality. Would that we were better at this. I think it may be our way forward to engage our neighbors and our friends, to invite them into our homes. And Martha is exceptional at this. It's, it's Romans chapter 12. Practice hospitality. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. The problem is not that Martha is serving a meal to Jesus. The problem is that by her own admission, by her own story, she is distracted in this moment, distracted by many things. I wonder what distracts us these days from focusing on Jesus. What draws our attention away as far back as John Donne, whose poetry I love? John Donne said, I sit down to pray and welcome the presence of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit and his angels, and then I'm distracted by a, a, a fly that buzzes. I'm distracted by the sound of a wheel on the street or the whining of a door. 
We may be the most distracted generation in history. We all have CPA, continuous partial attention, somebody said. I think it's true. We're distracted. Notice after she's distracted that she even doubts Jesus cared. This is an interesting relationship. It's audacious to say what she says to Jesus. Don't you care? I think his love for us is not in question. I think after we see Jesus on the cross dying for us, we have no reason to ever question whether he cares about anything in our lives. Notice that she demands something of Jesus. She says, now, I want you to tell my sister Mary. She's trying to control Mary through Jesus. It's an interesting triangle, isn't it? She's telling Jesus what to do, but Mary is letting Jesus tell her what to do. Big difference between telling Jesus, demanding, commanding Jesus. So Jesus diagnoses her there. Do you see it in the passage? He says, you know, I can tell that you're anxious and you're upset and you're worried about many things. You, there's apparently lots. I, <laughs> I think of one of the ladies at my first church, Gertrude Thrasher. She and Elwood invited me over to their house there was a long, long table. They had many children and grandchildren, but they weren't there. And I kid you not, every inch of space on that table, that eight-foot-long table was filled with some kind of food for the three of us. <laughs> I have no idea how long it took her. There were three different meat dishes. I remember that. I remember because she sent them home with me that night, <laughs> and my roommates loved me for it. They waited. They literally waited on the porch for me to come home on Sunday nights because of people like Gertrude Thrasher. Jesus says, I know you're worried about these many different things, but there's, there's one thing. And we said a couple of weeks ago, this is our theme for this year. This one thing I do, and that one thing we said is to know Christ, to gain Christ, to pursue Christ, to be found in Christ, to make Christ our all in all. And if you have the ESV today or another translation, you'll see that same expression, this one thing. There's one thing that is necessary. And Jesus, he corrects Martha because she sort of lives her life uh, doing a good thing, serving, but kind of angry about it. Fred Craddock tells about going to a, a cemetery, and um, he spoke to uh, the person who was in charge, and he said, I have a question. And he said, you saw the grave, didn't you? And he said, yes, I did. I want to ask you why this man, everybody else is buried like this, and he's buried like this. Why is that? Why does his grave stretch across three different grave plots and the person who was caring for the cemetery said, well, that's kind of the way he lived his life. He was always sideways with somebody. And his family said, we're going to bury him the way that he lived. If the Lord wants to straighten him out, that's his business. <laughs> but we're going to let him be buried the way that he lived. And do you know what I mean when I say some of the angriest people that I've ever known in this world were people who were serving God 
and they were frustrated because other people weren't doing what they do. I have friends who would never fail to tithe, but they're kind of mad about it because they think somebody else is not doing it. And some of these angry people somehow give the impression that that's what being a Christian is about. Is about. I watched a video of a young friend this week, and he's such a powerful man of God. And the countenance, the, the look on his face said, I am so angry about serving God. God, protect us from that, from that idea that I can serve God and be mad about it and that that's a good thing. No, no, God loves cheerful givers of their gifts and their time and their talents. God loves those literally who are hilarious about it. It turns out, no matter what we thought, we're not indispensable. Martha wasn't. I'm not. You're not. But Jesus, yeah, he's indispensable. We can't live without him. We need him as we sing every hour, every minute of every hour, every second of every minute. We need Jesus. And so my challenge is, as we look at Martha, don't let the work you're doing for God. You could be distracted by many things. You could serve God for a lifetime and be sort of resentful about it. Or like Mary, like Mary, instead of being distracted by many things, we could let this one thing dominate our thoughts, devoted to one thing, or should we say to one person? Here's the second point. Devoted to the one who matters, we could sit and listen because there's only one who deserves our undivided attention. There was a proverb from that day that said, sit in the dust of your rabbi's feet and thirst for his words. Strangely, though, in that same teaching, it said, don't waste your time, stay with me, teaching women. This was an instruction in that same manual. Why, why teach women when you can teach men? That was the, the sense of it. Mary, in a way, like the Good Samaritan, surprises the first century readers because in that day, this was something men did. They sat and the women served the, the table and you even see it overflow into the book of Acts where, where you hear the apostles say, we're not going to wait on tables. We're going to pray and preach. Martha's distracted, but Mary is devoted, and she's determined to know Jesus. How determined? So determined she steps outside the expected role. It turns out Jesus is not just for one gender, but for both genders. Jesus is for all people, and so he invites us in this passage to be devoted to him. And I love the way when we look at Mary's life, what we see is she wants to live in Jesus' presence just to sit at his feet. Stuart Sachs was a missionary to Paraguay. He went down there and ministered among some of the natives there in South America. And one day he was sitting on his porch and one of the young men from the village came and just sat down. And he asked him, what do you want? And the young man said to him, Ham Hennick met. And he said, but why are you here? What do you want from me? And he said, 
Ham Hinnik Met, which simply meant, I want nothing from you. I am just here. What a posture for worship. To come into God's presence every day without asking Him for anything. It's Henry Nouwen who taught me, has he taught you, that prayer is really listening. It's not just coming and saying to God, I need this and this and this and this and this, but rather it is coming and saying, Ham Henek Met, or as the African proverb simply says, Lord, Lord Jesus, make my heart sit down. It's hard because my heart rarely sits down. My heart is always on the move. I'm known in my family as the activist, the one who's always on the move, always going somewhere. And for me, it's hard sometimes just to stop and to live in Jesus' presence. In Luke 11, or Luke 10, 39, we see she is sitting and she is listening and she is learning. And in answer to the question, how do we come to know Christ? Remember Paul says in our theme passage for this year, I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection and the participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. If you ask me, how do you come to know Jesus? How do we make that our one thing? And I will tell you, Listening is so very important. In fact, what we discover about Mary as we look at her story, I'm thankful that John tells us more of her story, that Mary of Bethany, in fact, all three times we see Mary of Bethany in the Bible, she is at Jesus' feet. Have you ever noticed this? Because I'd never noticed that before this week. So she's at his feet here listening and learning, and Jesus, I'm not taking that away from her. The second time we see her is in a cemetery after her brother has been dead for some days, and Jesus doesn't come when they call him, even though he loves them. He doesn't come in time to heal their brother, and she and Martha both say the same thing. If you had been here, our brother wouldn't have died. Martha comes, by the way, just to show you that we're not stuck where we are, she comes to a place in chapter 11, verse 27 of the Gospel of John, where she makes this great confession, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. It's one of the most beautiful confessions of faith. Martha, by the way, just to show you, she's not a bad person for wanting to serve, but Jesus is helping her to focus on him. And Mary when Jesus walks into the cemetery, falls at his feet, and when Jesus sees her weeping, he weeps. She's at his feet. So to be clear, at first, she is at his feet as she waits for his word. The second time, she falls at his feet, weeping over the worst. Some of you have been there, where you are brought to your knees by the worst possible thing that can happen. She's lost her brother, and the third time we see her fall at his feet, she is worshiping him with her best. You remember in chapter 12, after Jesus raises Lazarus back to life, they have a meal, and Martha is serving, and Lazarus is sitting, and there's Mary again at Jesus' feet, this time with a very expensive alabaster box of ointment 
pouring it on Jesus' feet, wiping his feet with her hair. This Mary shows us something about attending to Jesus, about worshiping him, about waiting for him, about giving him our very best. Andrew Murray said, how many Christians look upon it as a burden and a duty and a difficulty to get along with God. Maybe that's the great hindrance to our Christian life everywhere. So we listen for his voice and we come, we come like Samuel finally to realize the one who's speaking to me is the Lord himself. It's interesting that Luke, who uses the word Lord often to describe Jesus, this is the greatest concentration in the fewest number of verses of Lord. Martha calls Jesus Lord. She knows who he is. Mary sits at his feet as Lord. Jesus said, my sheep, listen to my voice. Are you one of his sheep? Listen to his voice. The father in Matthew 17, we read it this week in our reading at the transfiguration. He says, this is my son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Hebrews 1.1. In these last days, God has spoken to us through his son. The, the son is the radiance of God's glory. The exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word even more than God needs to hear what we think church we need to hear what God thinks and to do that I'm pretty sure we're going to have to stop I think it was back in 2004 people were getting off the subway in a large city in the United States I believe it was Washington D.C. And there, as they got off the train, they saw a young man with a violin playing with his violin case open so that they could throw money in. And, and some stopped and listened to him play, and others were annoyed that he was kind of in the way. If only they had known who he was. If only they had known, as he gave a 30-minute concert, that this was none other than Josh Bell, playing on a Stradivarius violin. He would play in a concert hall in that city later that week, and people would pay over $100 to buy a ticket. But there he was, sitting there on the ground, and people didn't even know that it was he or that that violin is worth $1.8 million. Is that a lot? That seems like a lot. But they didn't know. And it's John who tells us, he came to his own, but his own did not know him. Here's Mary. But to as many as received him, even to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. And here's the promise. Look, we eat a great meal, and it's over. But when he feeds us, Jesus says, that time with him is the one thing that you and I can do with our time that will never end the next 10 hours of work. It's actually in the sitting and listening that we find the strength to serve. It is a great thing to love 
our neighbors as we love ourselves, like the Good Samaritan. In fact, I can only think of one thing in this world that is better than loving our neighbors as we love ourselves. That's the second commandment, and it's like it. But the first commandment is this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first and greatest commandment. And if you do, well, that, unlike everything else we have, can never be taken away from us. This one thing, to love God first. Pray with me. Father, we thank you that you have loved us just as you love Martha and Mary and Lazarus. You love us, and we thank you for loving us so well. Lord, there's a lot to do this week, but I pray that in our doing, we will, we will not forget to be with you. And we remember about Peter and John in the book of Acts that what they noticed about them was that they had been with Jesus. And I pray, Lord, that we will intentionally be with you this week, giving you our mind's attention and our heart's affection because those who look to you are radiant. We pray that somebody we meet this week will notice that we have been with you. This is our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.